In 1974, Barbara Streisand had a bold vision for a new version of A Star Is Born. Chris Christopherson eventually co-starred in that film, but who was her first choice? And what percentage of your brain do humans actually use? I don't know if I have enough to figure that one out. <laughs> well, you can try. <laughs> Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy. What's the other part? See, I lost part of my brain. Take a side road. Oh to... yes, take a side road <laughs> to sanity. There we go. Speaking of brains and not using it to its full capacity, your question is about that, isn't it? Yeah. What percentage of your brain do humans actually use? I remember reading something like five percent or twenty percent, something like that, and then somebody else came back later and said that's not true. People use more than that, but I'll go with the twenty-five percent. We'll okay. just goose it up a bit. The most common thought of is ten percent, but that's a total myth, and it's one of Hollywood's favorite premises. And they use that amount, ten、uh, percent, in movies like Phenomenon and Limitless and all that. A great idea for selling popcorn, but there's nothing. <laughs> It's not scientific reality.、Hmm. For one, evolution makes it highly unlikely that a species would evolve with an organ that requires so much energy and then uses only ten percent of its capacity. Well, that's what I always thought. But what do I know? I'm not thinking well、that's、today. That's right. Well, this is the interesting part. Sections of the human brain specialize in certain tasks. So while it's possible for only part of the brain to be activated during any particular activity, the whole brain is still very much in use. In fact, scientists have yet to discover any part of the human brain that does nothing. So <laughs> the answer is a hundred percent. Okay. Well, that makes sense because there's all these involuntary things that have to be run in your yeah, body. Your yeah, heart has to yeah, beat. Yeah. The blood has to flow. All the other systems have to be、you、running. Use the whole shebang. So just because we don't know how much <laughs> of the brain is working doesn't mean it isn't. Isn't、right? it working? Yeah. As you can see in some tests, one part of your brain lights up when you're doing this or thinking about that.、Mm -hmm. But the whole brain works. Well, that's that's very comforting. That's very comforting. <laughs> Good. Okay. All right. You mentioned the movies. I did. Speaking of the movies, Marcia, back in 1974, Barbara Streisand had a bold new vision、yeah. for a version of A Star Is Born. That was the first new Star Is Born in about 20 years. Chris Christopherson became her star,、that、but was who was Barbara Streisand's first choice after she was offered the movie?、Oh, who did she want as a co-star? Is it someone that could sing? It's somebody who could definitely sing. Okay, so somebody you know very well. Very well. Somebody you really liked very well as a young girl. Was it Elvis? Elvis. Oh my God! I didn't know this, you know, but I checked this、oh, out. He would have been good, and it's true. Elvis Presley. Now his film career had kind of bottomed out. He was reportedly thrilled at the opportunity. Oh, oh don't tell me Colonel Parker turned it down. Well, here's the story.、Uh, She offered him the starring role. She had just done The Way We Were. And、uh, on March twenty-eight, nineteen seventy-four, Barbara Streisand visited Elvis Presley backstage at Caesar's Palace to discuss her project. He was delighted with the idea; thought it would give him a lot of chance to, you、yeah. know, show, show himself.、Better. Yeah. After two meetings, Streisand and John Peters, who was her boyfriend and co-producer,、yeah. they made a formal offer, and it was generous. They offered a half a million dollars upfront, 
plus 10% of the net profits. Ah. Elvis could produce and take the full revenue from all of the concerts that would be filmed. Oh, my goodness. And Streisand's production company and Warner Brothers would retain rights to the music and the soundtrack so album. So what, what happened? Why? Well, guess what? It's what you thought. Parker. Colonel Parker bomb. killed a, the deal. Oh, what an ass. He told the movie makers they should have come to him first. Then he demanded $1 million uh-huh. up front, plus 50% of the gross profits. Uh-huh. $1,000 a week in expenses, approval of all of Presley's songs, and a cut of the soundtrack revenues. Couldn't Elvis have stood up to him? You, I mean, you that think is, he could have, right? Is, yeah, what did he go on to do? Viva Las Vegas? Oh, it's so sad, really, it when you is. think about it. And he, he could act. Did you ever see King Creole? That was one of his best films. Yeah, it was. You're right. He really could act. He just needed to get in better vehicles. Yeah. But show business insiders assume that uh, Colonel Parker, who never let Elvis pursue more challenging work, would never have accepted his client playing the role of a heavy-drinking, drug-using wreck anyway. (laughs) Well, guess how he died. (laughs) That's the sad part, isn't it? It is. Very, very sad. Wow, that that makes me cranky, Bob. I have a funny piece of trivia to add on to that. What famous person was responsible for Barbara Streisand's wardrobe? Was it Edith Head? You'd think it was Edith Head or somebody somebody like that. It was Barbara herself. Oh. <laughs> okay. The credit reads, Miss Streisand's clothes from her closet. <laughs> Is that what it that's says? That's what the movie credit. In that movie? Yes. Oh, that's hilarious. And that was a big hit. That was a big, big movie in 1976. It was, it was and Elvis could have been in it. After the latest Star is Born, which was awesome, too, I wanted to go back and watch all of them again. Well, since you brought that up, one more piece of trivia. <laughs> what do Barbara Streisand and Lady Gaga have in common? Besides that part, that role? With regard to that role, what do they have in common? They both wrote the hit songs for their films. <gasps> she wrote She wrote Evergreen? Was that it? Yeah, Barbara Streisand wrote Evergreen, and Lady Gaga wrote The Shallows. Uh, from or, the Shallows, yeah. which I adore. Both those songs are just awesome. Yeah. Wow. Bravo, girls. Pray tell what is next, Marcia. <laughs> oh, okay. What is the loudest animal in the world? The loudest animal? I'm going to say great white whales or blue whales. <gasps> What's the answer? Yes. Blue whales? Yes. Because they, they sing songs under the ocean. They do, and they make their sounds, their decibels are 188 decibels. And they can be heard almost a hundred miles away. A hundred miles away. Yeah. And it's through water, too. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. The loudest land animal is the howler monkey at 88 decibels. That sounds bad, too. The howler monkey. <laughs> I don't want him anywhere near me. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, the whale. We mentioned the whale, so we talked about the ocean. This is from a book that was given to me by our new friend, Daria Solovieva. The Brilliant Abyss by Helen Scales. It's got some great facts up front. And I want to ask you this question. What have we mapped more, the surface of the moon or the surface of the ocean floor? What have we mapped better? The moon. You're right. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yes. The surface of the moon has been mapped within 23 feet. We can locate things. That's how well it's mapped. Wow. The moon. The ocean? Three miles. Really? Three That's miles across. nonsensical. It's, it's amazing. I mean, the, the, the ocean's here. It's been here forever. We've been here forever. But the moon... <laughs> Maybe you have. I'm new. Oh, okay. I thought that was amazing. It's from The Brilliant Abyss by Helen Scales. 
that Daria gave us. Great book. Okay. And, uh, I will have more statistics from that in the time to come. I'll bet you will. Bob, 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 what's the best-selling soup in America? The best-selling soup in America is tomato soup. Oh, that's a good guess. No, I bet it's a chicken noodle. It is if you're Campbell's, but the biggest selling is cream of mushroom. Really? Yep. 80 million cans they sold not too long ago. That's a lot of soup. And I would assume it's because it's in a lot of recipes. Oh, you're probably right. It's an ingredient soup. Yeah. Campbell's Soup, a great American product. This is a great American product, but it wasn't made in America originally. Bic pens came from France. Oh, really? Yeah. So... Why did the inventor of the Big Pen rename his creation when he brought it to America and to global markets? It wasn't Bic. It was something else. It was Bic, but he changed something about the pen's name. The spelling. The spelling. The inventor was Marcel Bic, but it's B-I-C-H. That's how it's spelled. Okay. And he named the product after himself, the Bic Pen. But he realized that in America, the French word B-I-C-H. <laughs> would bitch. <laughs> that would be pronounced bitch. Oh, that's, that's what it would have been. Bitch <laughs> pens. And he didn't want that. Oh. So he dropped the H from his name. So bitch pens or B-I-C-H pens became Bic pens. Wow. I really thought that was American. Interesting. <laughs> Could you imagine, though? Bitch. I do not want my pens to be the bitch pens. <laughs> Let's go back to a very famous thing, the Statue of Liberty. Why could you say there were two women behind the Statue of Liberty? Well, one posed for it. No? Two posed for it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the artist used two different models, both family members. Okay. Frederick Auguste Bartholdi's wife spent many hours modeling the arms and torso, the figure of liberty. Uh But the model for the face was his mother, Charlotte. Oh, Oh, see, you can mix it all up. So two women were behind the Statue of Liberty. Did I ever tell you my arm and my fingers were on many of my brother's paintings? No, I didn't know that. Yeah, he he needed parts for one of his models. (laughs) He called me in. Wait a minute. I never saw any of your brother's paintings that had any human form. Well, these were the early years. I see. College years. Okay. What kind of animal is a geep? G-E-E-P. G-E-E-P. Well, think about it. Well, a sheep. Yeah, you're half right. a gazelle. I don't know. What is it? It's a hybrid of a sheep and a goat. Oh, really? Okay, so it's called a geep. Yeah, and uh, speaking of hybrids, how about a (laughs) pizzly? I don't think I'd want to touch that That's a hybrid of a grizzly bear and a polar bear. Wow. They look really weird, too. Grizzly bear and a polar bear. Yeah, a wolfin, a bottlenose dolphin, and a killer whale made up, and that's what you get, a wolfin. Jeez, these are actual animals yeah, that have been bred? Yeah, I saw bred? pictures of every one of oh, them. Oh, my goodness. A leopon. A leopon? Yeah. That sounds like a place to go. It does. Let's, uh, it, let's go fishing by the leopon. It's a, <laughs> okay, what? it's a male leopard and a female lion. Wow, where do you get these combinations? Oh, these are interesting. And, and here's one that'll give you shivers. It was attempted by the Soviets in the 1920s. They were trying to develop, wait for it, a humanzy. Oh, no. Yes. They I, actually... Bred a human they being. They tried a, to. A uh, chimpanzee and a human. Uh, and it didn't work as far as we know. Oh, dear. You should have saw some of the pictures. It sounds like a Ripley's Believe It or Not It thing. does, but it wasn't. Okay, so those are odd. That's from our odd hallway of horrors. <laughs> hallway of horrors. Let's go back to the Pizzle. Yeah, Marsha's hallway of horrors. 
Okay. Um, all right. Let's go back to history, okay? okay? Okay, good. Okay. How could you call Yale University the home of the petroleum industry? The money they got was from an oil guy no, who started up. No, a- Yale is the place where the petroleum industry was born. Ah. So let me tell you. Uh, please. At Yale University, the first fractional distillation of crude petroleum was done. Huh. 38-year-old Yale chemistry professor Benjamin Silliman did it while analyzing a sample of the Pennsylvania rock oil, as crude oil was called. He did it for 33-year-old George Henry Bissell, who founded the Pennsylvania Rock Oil Company of New York. So uh, you can thank Yale University oh, I will. I'll, for all the pollution we have then, I'll, can't I'll, you? I'll give them a call later. <laughs> Bet you never heard of the Hikamori people living in Japan. No, uh, Let no. me spell it because I'm sure I slaughtered it. H-K-I-K-O-M-O-R-I. Actually, there are people like this all over the world. They are modern-day hermits who live as recluses and withdraw from all social contact and don't often leave their houses for years. Wow. One study shows that so many people do this because in Japan there's intense pressure to follow the rules and succeed, and and uh, it's just too much. So this is not an indigenous uh, ethnic no. group. No, or I thought it was. I was reading about him, and it's just it's it's a type of person. Well, I got a Japanese story too, but oh, we'll get to well, that in just a moment oh, okay. after we take a break. All right, take a break. I'm Bob Smith. Marcia Smith. You're listening to the Off Ramp. Okay, we're back. Marcia, we spoke recently of eating at the. Oldest restaurant in the world, the oldest continuously used restaurant in the world, uh-huh. a kitchen that began as a monastery in Austria around 800 A.D. Mm-hmm. But did you know there is a restaurant in Japan that's been in the same family for 25 generations? Oh, Lord. Really? In Japan? Yeah. It's called Ichimonjiya Wasuki, and it's a Japanese sweets shop in Kyoto, uh-huh. and uh, it's been in business since 970 A.D. Wow. Or 970 of the current era. Yeah, Ichimonjiya Wasuki, Japan's oldest confectioner. They've been in operation continuously for more than a 1,000 years. The business was passed down for 25 generations in the same family and listened to their specialty. It's aburi mochi, warm, sticky rice cakes on sticks. Okay. And the mochi, or pounded rice, is skewered and grilled over charcoal, then doused in a sweet miso sauce. Sounds great, actually. And if you go there, be careful. You might make a mistake. Their longtime rival is just across the street. They've been in business for 400 years. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Okay, good. Okay, let's move on. What's the difference between theater ending in E-R and theater ending in R-E? That's just a spelling from England is theater. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. It's Hmm. just Noah Webster. Oh, the dictionary guy. Yeah. Yeah. Noah Webster, he had a never-ending attempt to try to get rid of Britishisms, he called them. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> he was always trying to fix it, so it was more American. And so, you know, he changed words like we know color, took the U out of color. The C-O-L-O-U-R. Yeah. Okay, took yeah. Took the U out of there. He thought it was superfluous. It is. It's not necessary. Plow and honor. <laughs> those are two words that had O-U in oh, that's it. That's right. Of course, not all of his <laughs> suggestions caught on. He did try to convince us Americans that the words tongue and women should be spelled tongue, T-U-N-G, and women, (laughs) (laughs) W-I-M-M-E-N. And nobody bought it, so it didn't work. (laughs) I like that spelling. That's good. That's how Americans talk. (laughs) That's funny. 
Okay, Marcia. Here's a question on art. Okay. How did the first painting acquired by the Museum of Modern Art influence cinema history? It's an Edward Hopper painting. Yeah. Was it the lunch counter there in the evening? Well, if it was the lunch counter, Nighthawks. If it was Nighthawks, how did that influence cinema history? I'm trying history? to think. Did it a film noir? No. I don't know. The first oil painting acquired by MoMA by Edward Hopper was his 1925 painting *House by the Railroad*, and if you look at it, it's instantly recognizable as the inspiration for the Bates family home. I was going to say Psycho. In Psycho, oh, right? Oh. Yeah, the architectural style of the house, yeah. the perspective, the use of light—unmistakable. They all mirror what's seen in Alfred Hitchcock's film. All right, Bob. A famous singer. Dubbed Miss Piggy's singing voice in the Muppet movie. A famous singer? You mean Miss Piggy didn't do it herself? <laughs> Who was it? Whose voice was singing? Well, that would be singing in falsetto. It's a, is it a man who uh, sings it? Yes, Johnny Mathis. Oh no, kidding! <laughs> Johnny Mathis. Yeah, the singing voice of Miss Piggy in the Muppet movie. Yeah, we love that. Movie. I'll be darned. How did we? Know? That's a great piece of trivia. <laughs>、nice. Chances are. <laughs> Yeah, sing some of the hits as Miss Piggy. Oh my goodness, that's funny. Wonder why they went to him. I'm sure there are character voice specialists who could have done that. Yeah. Why Johnny Mathis? I don't Not know. That, nothing against Johnny Mathis. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay. All right. Now you know that there are U.S. mints in various places in the United States. Yes. If you you look at coins, some of the pennies you'll find an S, San Francisco mint. So tell me, why is there a U.S. mint in San Francisco? It was there for a specific reason. Because the、uh, the gold. That's right, the gold rush.、Uh-huh. When the gold rush hit, the U.S. government wanted a branch there to buy the gold from the California gold miners. They wanted to get control of this gold, and the branch of the mint opened in 1854. They paid miners the official rate of sixteen dollars per ounce. The gold could be sold higher on the open market, but the price could also go as low as six dollars. First year of operation, the San Francisco Mint produced four million dollars in gold coins. That's a lot back in those days.、Yeah. Within just two years' time, it had produced twenty-four million dollars in gold coins. That's why they wanted a mint there. They wanted to get that money in the government. Can you name、uh, the richest countries in the world, Bob? Well, you always think United States is one of those. This、uh, is twenty twenty-two numbers here. Okay, where where are they? Uh, China is number one with 113 trillion net worth. Wow! I know it's more than twice the United States, which is 50 trillion,、hmm. and then tie for third and fourth is Germany and France, both at 14 trillion. So it's China, the U.S., and then what are the other two? Germany and France, which Germany are tied for、France. third. That's surprising. I don't、yeah. don't think of France as an economic powerhouse. I think of Germany that way. Yeah, they're yeah. close.、That's- yeah. Interesting. Tis. Remember when Alfred Hitchcock had that show on TV, and sometimes in his movies, there would be this famous signature line drawing of his yeah, profile. Yeah. What artist did that? Oh, that's an interesting question. Was it a fine artist, or was it somebody like the guy over at New York Magazine? It was a famous guy <laughs> who had an art background. <laughs> it was Hitchcock himself.、Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. His background included drawing, painting, and advertising graphics, and he was an art director in early silent、oh, so films. He did, he did his little、uh, he did his pro- own profile. His own profile. He started out doing title cards in silent films in Britain. The cards they used to put in their、okay. dialogue. That's how he got his start. Isn't that funny? That's how people break into different、uh, fields like that. Yeah. Okay. 
We're talking nicknames. There's top 10 nicknames of all time. Well, Bob has got to be number one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give you uh, the nickname of a few people, and you tell me who it is. The Bard of Avon. Bill Shakespeare. Yeah. William Shakespeare. Billy. And here's one you should know, the Wizard of Menlo. Oh, that's uh, Thomas Edison. Correct. The Dopey One. The Dopey One and Mr. Dullard. Mr. Dullard. Albert, the Dopey One. I keep thinking of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Albert uh, Einstein. Dopey Do- One? Yeah. That was his nickname? Yeah. Well, that was. Uh, those were nicknames, yes. That it's, he had? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't know. Chairman of the board, not a hard one. Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Old Blue Eyes, the Sultan of Swoon, Swoonatra, and The Voice. He had a lot of them. <laughs> the Sultan of Swoon. You know, this one I did. The Little Sparrow. The Little Sparrow. This must be a, it's a female yes. singer. Who sang? I don't know who it would be. Edith Piaf. Oh, the French singer. The Chanteuse. That was another nickname for okay. her. <laughs> and uh, this one you should know. Uh, he was called The Little Tramp. Oh, that's uh, Charlie Chaplin, of yeah. course. And this one I like, The Professional Virgin. The prof- <laughs> <laughs> Professional Virgin. Uh-huh. Who's that? Doris Day. Oh, okay. And and one, I'll just give you a few of his names. You, you should get it. Mr. Warmth, Mr. Potato Head, The Merchant of Venom. Oh, that is uh, Don Rickles. <laughs> that's it. That's it. Okay. And Mr. Potato Head, because he played Mr. Potato Head. In the... Um, Toy Story. Toy Story, yeah. Very good. Okay, names. We know that uh, L. Frank Baum got the name Oz for his stories by looking at a uh, file cabinet drawer labeled O-Z, right? Yeah. You had that the, right. other, the right. other week. Okay, now, how did Wicked, the author of Wicked, which was the recent Bro- play, uh, musical, play, yeah. on, on Oz, how did... Wicked author Jeffrey Maguire pay homage to L. Frank Baum by naming the witch. Now, here's the name of the witch. He chose the name Elphaba. 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 How does that relate to L. Frank Baum? Oh, I had the <laughs> initials. Yeah. Oh, that's cute. L.F.B. So he called her Elphaba. That's a... Yeah, just an homage, just as pay tribute yeah. to where this came from. I like it. I thought that was cool, too. I, did, I, I knew about the Oz, but I didn't know that Alphaba got the name that way. All right. Do you like covered bridges? And now sure. that spring's coming, people will be going out to... We've got a covered bridge in our area here, one of the few in this part of the Midwest. But where is America's oldest covered bridge? What state is it located in? I'll give you four. Is it Connecticut, Vermont, New York, or Massachusetts? My first thought was Massachusetts. That's what I would have thought. But it's actually in New York. We always think of New York as New York City, but of course, New York, upstate New York, is like Wisconsin or yeah. Michigan. It's, uh-huh. you know, it's pretty rural. Uh, and this one is near Cooperstown, New York, the oldest covered bridge still standing. How old do you think it is? Uh, well, I'll say 200. It's close to 200. It was built in 1825, so we're coming up on the 200th anniversary. It's located outside of Cooperstown. It's called the Hyde Hall Bridge, and it was named for a mansion it once led to. It's 53 feet long, and it's the only covered bridge in Ostego County. It's also distinctive because most of the covered bridges have vertical boards on the side of the bridge, you know, from the ceiling to the floor. This has horizontal, real long horizontal siding. Anyway, almost 200 years old, and cars can still go across it and everything. Amazing. Yes, it is. Why do we call an unstable person a basket case? A basket case. Mm -hmm. That's a good question. 
Because uh, he had to carry him out in a basket. Why would that be? I don't know. I don't uh, know where's it come from. Yeah, it comes from World War One. Oh, uh, yeah. And if uh, shell shocked or badly maimed, they couldn't contain the soldiers in a, on a stretcher. They had to take them out in a basket. Oh dear. Yeah, it's very sad. And so anyway, that began the term basket case, and it. Uh, was cruelly applied to anyone with an impairment, either physical or mental. Well, here's a different one, okay? Okay. I'm just going to give you a... Uh, what was the original napkin, Bob? The original napkin? Yes. Manners the butler. Remember that guy? Yeah. Uh, let's see. That was a character in Kleenex commercials. What was the original napkin? Yeah. What did people was, use for I napkins? think it was part of their clothing, wasn't it? No. 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 Okay. Well, I have a feeling back way back... Sleeves? I mean, what was yeah, it? Yeah, I'm sure certain periods of time, but the original purpose for a tablecloth was for wiping the diner's fingers and hands oh, after eating. Is it really? Yeah. That was the original use for a tablecloth. It's something to wipe yourself up with. That's what kids do when they're real little. Yeah. <laughs> kids always do that. Okay. I got one thing to uh, end with. All right. That's fun. In Arizona, there's a town called Y. How did it get its name? And Guess what? It lost its meaning. <laughs> oh, was did... it was it at the end of a road shaped like a Y? That's exactly what it was. And then the highway came through and straightened out that road, and now it's no longer Y. Originally, it was called Y, like the letter Y in the alphabet, because it was the Y-shaped intersection of highways 85 and 86. And for years, the town was simply known as the Y, uh -huh. but they changed the intersection from a Y to a T-shaped intersection oh. for safety reasons. <laughs> so it totally lost its meaning, yeah. but it's still called Y. Y, what, Arizona. What if it were one of those roundabouts? And <laughs> That'd be the O. <laughs> the O. <laughs> o is next to Y. Okay, I'm going to finish up with a quote from Socrates, mm. 400 BCE. Okay. All right. Ancient wisdom. Ancient wisdom. Children today are tyrants. They contradict their parents, they <laughs> gobble their food, and tyrannize their teacher. I despair for the future. <laughs> <laughs> the more things change, the more they're the same. Yeah, nothing ever changes. Wow, that's 400 <laughs> BC. <Yeah. laughs> so there's just no way to fix this problem, apparently. We just have to live with it. Oh, that's great. All right. We want to remind you, we appreciate it when people give us interesting facts and figures and ways to stump one another. And you can do that by going to our website, the offramp.show and going to contact us and just filling out the information and giving it to us. We'd love that. We'd love to hear from you. And we'd love to hear where you're listening from, too. So with that, I'm going to close the show, Marsha. <laughs> okay. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. We hope you'll join us next time when we return with more interesting fun facts. And sometimes scary ones. Sometimes scary ones. <laughs> on, on the, the off-ramp. Off The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.